You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hey, I'm Steve Englehart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay, and what we have here today is the second part to an interview with Steve Englehart. You can hear the first part if you search for our interview in which Steve and I talk about the Fantastic Four. This episode, we talk about the Silver Surfer, which he was writing at the same time as Fantastic Four. It is uh, quite an interesting interview as well, because he's the first guy to take the reins of Silver Surfer after Stan Lee had been writing him for nearly 20 years, and he wouldn't let anybody else take the reins um, until this moment. So here you can hear Steve talking about how he came to write Silver Surfer, um, some of the thought process behind um, the characters that show up, um, bringing back Mantis, and a little bit about the office politics that were going on behind the scenes at the time as well. This is a companion episode to Silver Surfer Episode 3, Freedom. So be sure to check out that episode as well. Eventually, this interview will be released to the public, but uh, until then, it is an exclusive to all of you Patreon supporters. We want to thank all of our Patreon supporters who are pledging five bucks or, or more. We couldn't run this podcast or any of the podcasts on the Thunderquack Podcast Network without your help. And so as a way of saying thank you, we're putting all of these interviews up as exclusives. They'll eventually reach the public, but you can go to patreon.com slash thunderquack and help out a little bit and get access to a ton of great content. As I said before, this is the second half of an interview, so he does refer back to uh, the Fantastic Four part of the interview in this one. So if you get a little confused, you may want to check that other one out first. But if you've already heard that one and you're good to go, here's Steve Englehart. You started Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four about the same time. Um, yeah. Did uh, one get to you before the other? Like, did what was the one book offered to you or given to you before the other? I think the Surfer was first. It seems to me, thinking back, that it was that it was first. Um, they came to me when Stan. Okay, having been there that long, I knew this that when Stan had left the company to go to LA and start moving toward this future that we now have. Um, uh, he said all the characters were, you know, available to the company except the silver surfer. He wanted to keep the silver surfer only for himself. 
Um, and so he did the book with Mobius and he did the book, you know, with uh, Buscema and he did, you know, he did a few things, but he didn't use the surfer very much. When I um, came to the company uh, and they gave me the Defenders, the surfer had appeared in the Defenders. So I, you know, I got in touch with Stan and I said, can I use him in the Defenders? And he said, yeah, don't, you know, don't make him like a regular, but yeah, you can, you can use him if you want. And I said, thank you very much and, and went on about it. But I knew that was the, you know, the, the parameter. So 10 years later, uh, or whatever it was, um, I get this call one day from Shooter saying, you know, we want to start a Silver Surfer book and we want you to write it. And I said, well, what does Stan have to say about this? And Shooter said, Stan's gone. I'm in charge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I said, well, you know, you are in charge. If you if, if you can make that work, it's OK by me. So, um, so um, did that intimidate you taking Stanley's prized possession? Well, Shooter said he would fix it. And I never heard anything from Stan. So I figured, you know, he fixed it. And and. You know, Marvel's, I think Marvel's corporate thinking was um, we own this character and he never appears because Stan put a lock on him. Maybe after all this time we can get Stan to loosen up on it. And I guess they did. I mean, I, you know, again, I never heard from Stan and, and the book went on to run a hundred and some issues yeah. in that incarnation. And now it's back again. So, um, so yeah, okay. And I, but as you may have figured out from our previous conversation you know when i take over a book when i take over a book i want it i don't believe in i'm here now everything's different um i want to take it from wherever it was and if i think it should be different i want to move it to where it can you know where i'd like it to go because i figure that's a story too how did how to you know we go from here to there but it's seamless so that it makes sense um so i said well I, yeah, this is before the FF because, again, maybe John was tired of, John Buscema was tired of doing superheroes. I was not tired of doing superheroes, but I was tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. And with the surfer, I thought that whole thing about, you know, I'm trapped on Earth, I'm so sad, I'm alone, you know, Shalabal's out there somewhere and I can't get off Earth. I said, that's a, that was that was fabulous in 1966, right. but it's 1986, you know, um, uh, or whatever it was. Um, we've been doing that for 20 years now, and I really would like to change that. And they said, no, can't do it. You know, he's he's trapped on Earth. You have to do that book. So okay, well, you know, that's I made my pitch. That's all I can do. So I wrote the first issue of a series in which he's trapped on earth and plotted the next two issues. And then they called me up and they said, actually, you can get him off the earth. I don't <laughs> know. You know, I, I've just told you everything that I know about how any of that happened, but I got that call. I said, fabulous. That's great. So we scrapped that first issue. It later appeared in a Marvel fanfare, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, so things that appeared in that, in that, lost issue mantis and her son um you know they those things popped up later on i was able to use them later but um 
I was I was so pleased to get him off the earth because it just, you know, it opened him up. He was, you know, he was a space writing guy or he should have been. And it did open him up to every space concept in the Marvel Universe from the FF, from the Avengers, from everybody, you know, from Starlin stuff. I mean, it was just um, he could get out and he could do things, which which to me was um uh, you know, something that needed to happen. Yeah. I, I just thought we can't keep going over the same ground. So anyway, so then, you know, got him off earth. And the artist, of course, was Marshall Rogers. Um, yeah. Marshall and I had done Batman together. We'd done Mr. Miracle together. Uh, you know, we'd done Scorpio Rose and the Foozle together outside of this stuff. But with Scorpio Rose which was our book for um, Eclipse Comics. It was three issues long, and Marshall drew, like, the first two and then just, like, spaced out and just, you know, we, we put out the first issue, we put out the second issue, and the third issue just kind of sat around never being drawn. Um, and at that point, I said to Marshall, I'm not going to work with you again unless you get your act together because, right. you know, what are we supposed to do here? Uh, uh, and so when they came around and they said, you know, Marshall, we would, we would like Marshall to draw the silver surfer. I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, well, well, I hadn't worked with Marshall then for a while. So, you know, I went and sat down with him and I said, do you have your act together? Can you do this book? And he said, yes, he could. Um, and as somebody else pointed out, um, you know, Marshall likes to draw every brick and every building in yeah. Gotham city. And we said, this is a naked guy in space. <laughs> He's easy to draw, you know. Uh, okay, fine, you know. So then Marshall and I did did that. Um, uh, ten issues in, he kind of had trouble staying up with the deadlines. And so, you know, we moved on. But but that was a much more professional transition, and, and, and we just moved on. And then you got you his, this up-and-comer, Ron Lim. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about Ron, but that's, you know, I, I said way back in the beginning of this, if you break this into two parts, it'll make no sense. But well, I, you know, I started out, I wanted to be an artist that it was, it was comic art that brought me into comics. And I was cruising along as a young, trying to get somewhere artist when they offered me writing and I wrote some writing and I liked my writing and they liked my writing. And all of a sudden I was a writer. So I never progressed, uh, but in my head, I'm still looking at stuff with an artist's eye, which I think is a very useful thing to do if you're going to write comic books. So what I really like about doing the Marvel style that we talked about is, you know, when I come up with a plot, I can see it in my head. I can, you know, I know it can be drawn. There are some writers that I've run into along the way who ask for stuff that can't actually be drawn. You know, let's put 14 panels on this page and make them all, you know, epic. It's like, well, no, you can't do that. You know, that's, that's a cheesy example, but it's that kind of thing. So every time that I do a plot, I know in my head how it could look, but I don't expect it to look that way because I'm not drawing it. And so the fun part there is I get the art back and I go, Oh, this is what he did with it. That's cool. You know how that works. So, um, over the years, that's happened. I mean, that happens with every book, whether I'm working with a guy or not, but it's particularly fun when there's like a new guy, you know, and so 
all right, you're going to do this book with Ron Lim now. Okay, let's see how that works. Ah, this is good stuff. I can work with this. So that, you know, that if Marshall had, had stayed up with his, with his deadlines, I don't know if Ron would ever have gotten a shot on the Silver Surfer. But when it turned out that he did, you know, we had a, we had a real nice team there. And it sort of defined him and his, uh, his style. Like Silver Surfer is kind of his definitive book. Well, the Surfer's fun to draw. I think. I mean, he is a naked guy, but he reflects. You know, yeah. he's got he's got reflections in him. He's got starbursts off of him. I mean, you can you can have a good time drawing a Silver Surfer. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the Elders. Well, that was just you know um, they were out there with their soul gems, um, and th- so I got him out into space. What what kind of space guys have we got to mess with? And so. We did one elder who led to another elder who led to all the elders, you know, who then led, to, you know, to Galactus, who led to the in-betweener. I mean, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. It's like each thing you kind of you kind of do it and you go, OK, well, now that I'm here, where can I go next? Yeah. And it's just amazing. It escalates higher and higher um, till you get, mm-hmm. you know, you, your, your grand finale with the Living Tribunal. Um, but at the same time, you have this space battle that you just see the seeds at the beginning and it builds and builds and builds it's um your whole 30 some odd issues is just one epic masterpiece it's it's just fantastic well thank you that's nice to hear um there were a couple issues there where i had to go back to the to the one issue thing before they before they said you have six months and you can do whatever you want to do but when the korean the scroll first showed up i mean they're just there because they're part of the of the marble space continuum but over time you know one thing led to another and and um again as a professional if i had to write a series of one issue stories i could do that but that's certainly not my preferred way of of doing comics right and that's that's obvious in the in runs like this one the silver surfer here definitely Mm. um you you play a lot with galactus and change him up a little bit too and Mm. you have that scene where he appears as a star in front of eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that's something that had been really talked about with Galactus before, but his his appearance and the way he appears to people. Was that something that you came up with? You know, at this point, I'm, I am unclear on the concept. I don't know if somebody had said before, he only looks human because we're humans looking at him. Yeah. Or whether that was my idea, you know, I, I'd love to take credit for it, but I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure if I can. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I wanted to take things, I wanted to expand and and go into areas that hadn't really been um, developed, and and so you know, if the surfer's going to get out there, then he's going to have to deal with Galactus, um, and. If you're going to deal with Galactus, again, you know, he'd been sort of the same guy for 20 years. What, you know, what new could you do with Galactus at that point? Um, You know, I bought a book. I bought a book back when people bought books before the Internet, a big coffee table book of pictures of space, stars, galaxies, you know, all that stuff. And I gave it to Marshall and I said, this is what we want this book to look like. We want all that space. That's why that, you know, the first four pages of the first issue are just space. You know, it's just like, it's yeah. big, you know, it's big. Uh, and it's got stuff in it. So uh, the stories that I wanted to tell out there also needed to be sort of 
grand and 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 um, expansive, you know. Um, your character of Mantis is a very interesting one because her character has sort of followed you even through different companies, right, right under different names and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you bring her back to Fantastic uh, to uh, you bring her back to Silver Surfer, and there's even uh, one panel in there that's a reference to uh, Scorpio Rose. Yeah. What is it about Mantis that she follows you around everywhere that you go? Well, she she was sort of my first my first love, shall we say? I mean, you know, um, she's the first character that I created and and did my thing where I just see how far I can go with the character and all that kind of stuff. And so her original run in the Avengers became this this vast epic. Um, and then it came to the end and like you're okay fine you're supposed to come up with a new avengers group and and her story was over for the time and i you know i mean i figured i'd see her again someday but it's like you know fine she went away and then i went away i went away from marvel and i went over to dc and right after that um i was down at the san diego comic convention and a fan came up to me and said does this mean we'll never see mantis again and i you know, I mean, the kind of guy I am, I said, no, we'll figure out some way that we can, you know, that we can make that happen. And so over at DC, I brought her in as Willow. Um, fun, fun story, I thought, you know, where she keeps saying, I can't tell you where I'm from, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and Julie Schwartz was my editor over there and he was a great guy and he was he was down with it. You know, I mean, so we did that. And then so then I then I got you know, hubris. And I thought every place I go, I'm going to bring her along. So when I went to Epic uh, or Eclipse and then Epic, but, uh, you know, I put her in the Scorpio Rose book, changed her name again, because now I could own her. Uh, <laughs> right. <as a> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so she was, she was going to be part of the Scorpio Rose thing, but then the Scorpio Rose thing fell apart, as I said earlier. So, uh, there she was, and and um, you know everything I said before, and the fact that at the end of the day she's the goddess of life, basically. I mean, she's you know she's the celestial Madonna. She's a character that just has a lot of potential and and a lot of stuff that can be done with her. So I made her the Silver Surfer's girlfriend in that first issue that never that turned out to be apocryphal. Uh, I later brought her into the real silver surfer um it's like when starlin does stuff thanos is gonna show up one way or the other you know um uh with her i hope i had a you know a slightly level her head whatever i mean she was she hung out with the silver surfer but she wasn't going to become the co-star of the book she went away firestar came in i mean you know right i was i was just rolling along but you know she she fit in she was space person she fit in um and then i was going to bring her back to the avengers as i said earlier in the west coast avengers and then everything went sideways and and so forth she's a character well I, you know i wrote six seven years ago now um i wrote three novels for tour books um about my character Max August, the guy who was in The Point Man that I wrote back in the 80s, and I brought him back for three books. And she shows up, Coyote and and Lorelei. 
um, <laughs> show up because I own them, so yeah, I can yeah. do that. You know, um, it's just a it's a thing. I mean, I I don't think that I've beaten this to death, but but you know, Coyote too. They're characters that I can kind of use in most any situation, and um, and sometimes do. Now she's coming up in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Does, yeah. What are your thoughts about seeing your your first love on the big screen? To tell you the truth, I'm not impressed. <laughs> That's what I thought you would say. <laughs> you know, I have genuinely liked all the Marvel movies to this point. You know, some more than others. But I mean, there hasn't been a single Marvel movie where I've said, boy, they screwed that up. Right. When I see Mantis, I think, boy, they screwed that up. I, you know, I'm not getting paid one way or the other. I, I like the Marvel movies, but I don't like what they've done with Mantis. Um, but I haven't seen the movie. I'm not involved in the movie. Uh, I don't know anything other than what you know, I'm sure, you know. Right, yeah, um, we've only seen the trailer. Right, yeah. and, you know, and that's not Mantis, you know. That's it's not, not, and that's what I thought, too, is, like, she's not speaking in the third person. She's got right. this weird telepathy power that she didn't really have. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And she's kind of a goofy character. Yeah. So once again, I don't control it. Can't yeah. do anything about it. Right. Um, if they had asked me, I would have said stuff. But I know I know from from hanging around Hollywood, the last thing <laughs> yeah. those guys want to hear from is the original writer. You right. Know? Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't want to hear that. But I do think that they that, that they uh, they took a wrong turn um, with this. Now, based on the first one, I expect that this will be a very enjoyable movie. I think we'll all be very happy with Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right. except those of us who created Mantis. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and, and, I mean, so those guys, they did a fabulous job. The, the writer-director, James Gunn, I mean, all those guys. I don't know why they, why they took this turn with her. Not impressed. Yeah. I guess we'll have to see when she, her character is more fleshed out when we actually see the film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, when they first announced she was going to be in it, I thought, how are they going to have two green women in there? And they and they <laughs> saw that, you know. Right. Yeah, they did. But somewhere along the line, I don't know. That's all I got to say. Tell me a little bit about Clumsy Foul Up. Well, he was, you know, I had all these vast space characters doing vast space things. And particularly with this Kree Scroll War, I had a, a reasonable cast on both sides. And I just thought, you know, and Ron draws, can draw funny looking people. So all in all, I thought, well, let's have this kind of goofy guy who's just kind of a low level flunky. Um, you know, he's just part of the gestalt here. Um, but as I developed that series, as I developed that thing, and, and, you know, particularly at the end when I had like six months to kind of wrap everything up and I knew I wanted to go as big as possible on my way out the door, um, Again, somehow or another, it's I had this idea that like, well, maybe he could be, maybe he could be just as much of a flunky as he ever was, but he's just kind of one of those guys who's in the right place at the right time, and things break right, and and you know, other people fall off the map, and he's still there, and and you know, the whole idea of him ending up as as king of the of the Cree of the Cree, that you know, that's just me tying things together and seeing what I can come up with. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, he's another guy. I mean, there you were. I, I had no plans for that in the beginning. It just kind of went that way. Nice. 
For when you were writing the Kree Skrull conflict in this one, um, did you have a clear idea of who was the good guy and who's the bad guy? They're both the bad guys. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I, I wouldn't want to choose between the Kree and the Skrull. They, you know, each one of them, I mean, the Kree are the more militaristic, the Skrull are the more, they're more like spies and the other guys are more like military. When I came up with the idea that Sybil was actually working for the other side, that's when I started thinking, I could build an entire war scenario here now. I mean, up to that point, it was just kind of like it's bubbling on the back burner. But when I thought, all right, the head of, of one side is actually a member of the other side, yeah, there's a plot there. So I can't say that I was rooting, you know, that I picked a side in that fight. That was more just like, these two behemoths are going to go at it. How is that going to affect the surfer? You know? Yeah, and I was surprised that the Silfer, like he said, he was impartial, but he sort of sided with the Skrulls more than, more than the Kree. Well, the Kree, Kree are hard to warm up to. I mean, the the Skrulls, I wouldn't trust them, but it's 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 really hard to kind of become allies with the Kree. I think probably because the the Kree, well, both of them would turn on you <laughs> if they wanted to. Um, yeah, well, he needed a way in, and I and I just seemed more likely that he, that the scrolls would be his way in. Yeah, one of my favorite issues in your run here is number eight when the Silver Surfer is caught. He's trapped inside the Soul Gem. Yeah, and he's having this kind of weird hallucination. Um, I feel like that really defines. Um, so you have a, you had a story where Galactus eats some of the elders. Yeah, before this. Um, or my experience with Galactus is that he never kind of just ate people like that. He would, um, he, and I guess maybe these guys aren't people in the sense of like earthlings, but, um, I saw more of like siphoning power or siphoning energy. Yeah. He ate planets, but, but that didn't indicate to me that he couldn't eat other power sources. And those guys, as you say, they're not humans. They are, you know, they are power sources in their own way. And, he wanted to get rid of them, you know, so, um, so we ate them, <laughs> um, and didn't agree with him, but it turned out to be, you know, they are power sources and yeah. they have their thing going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I was exploring Galactus. Yeah. There's a lot of exploring Galactus and I thought, I think it's really neat. It's uh, cause he's always just kind of been there and a character that's just kind of formidable, but, um, just kind of swats the, the heroes out of the way. But yeah. yeah, you play a lot with him, and um, especially when you, there's a there's a lot of exchange about how Galactus cares for Nova in like more of a kind of a loving way, like he's actually she's actually really important to him because he loves her, and that's an aspect I think you don't see off at all in Galactus. No, well, I'm just I'm reminded my introduction to Marvel Comics. I came in, you came in on the last issue of the Fantastic Four. I came in on Fantastic Four 49, which oh, is lucky right you. <laughs> in the middle, right in the middle of the Galactus Silver Surfer thing. Yeah, right. And that's what convinced me that I wanted to do comics, you know? I wow. said, oh, stuff is good. And again, there's a question as to whether he's actually human or whether he just looks human to us. Yeah. But he had evinced recognizable uh, characteristics humanoid characteristics shall we say over the years um so the fact that he 
had an affection, I'm not sure I'd say love, but I mean an affection for this particular herald. Uh, it seemed as if he had an affection for the silver-colored herald that he'd had once upon a time, you know, and that's why so, yeah. it pissed him off so much when the guy turned against him. You know, I, it all works for me, um, putting, putting those things together. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to humanize him at all, but I thought there was more to be learned about him, you know? Right. There's a very specific color palette in your in your run here, especially in the early issues, um, you That's... don't you don't use all of the very vibrant um, primary colors and such. It's very much um, sort of muted um, pinks and purples and grays uh, mm -hmm. and like light green. Uh, was that um, a decision that Marshall Rogers came up with himself because yes. he was coloring the book? Yes. Um, it's interesting. Marshall penciled things that looked gray. It was, you know, it was Terry Austin who came along in the Batman stuff and really made it look black and white. You know, Marshall's okay. pencils, Marshall doesn't deal much, didn't deal much in um, blacks and whites. He he has this kind of gray, I keep doing present tense, but you know what I mean. Right. He sort of saw the world in a gray tone. I mean, you might say Gene Colan did too. I mean, you know, people who don't see it in black and white but see it in shades of gray. And whenever he would color stuff, he would color it in those kind of mid-tone things. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was entirely him. Wow. That color palette. Well, I feel like it gives it such a unique standout feel compared to all of the other books that were published in the 80s because of those color choices. Yeah. Well, he was, you know... He came to comics late. I, I, you know, I can't go on and on about Marshall, but I mean, he came. He had studied architecture, which is why he liked bricks and stuff. But um, I mean, he had come to comics late, and I think you know, along the way, he'd been exposed to a lot of non-comic approaches to art, which he then rolled into his approach to comics. Right. At the very end of your run, Silver Surfer gets a glimpse of godlike power or being a god. Yeah, can you uh, tell me a little bit about um, just that scene and why you wanted to end on that note? Well, I wanted it to go out big. Um, I also wanted it to be, you know, unclear as to exactly what he was seeing, what right. he was doing. Uh, you know, because I mean, at the end of the day, that was the end of the day for me. I was going to hand that book off, and somebody else, as it turns out, Starlin was going to take it up next, and and. Um, you know, in the same way I said, I don't want to come in and go, everything before this is different. Now I'm going to I'm going to do something else. I didn't want to leave anybody stuck, you know, with with something they'd have to spend the next 10 issues explaining uh, when it was their book. So um, I wanted, you know, just go out with this big ending, but an ending where at the end he just flies away and that's it. You know? Yeah. Well, it was a nice, a nice finish to the, the huge saga. Well, I mean, again, I knew that was kind of like my last saga, you know, a Marvel saga. As it, as it turns out, I did come back and do a few things in the 2000s. But, yeah. you know, I was, as I said before, leaving Marvel was not making me happy. Seeing Marvel change its editorial direction was not making me happy. You know, it's like, but at the same time, I once, I once loved this stuff and I really wanted to do something something that fit what I thought it all ought to be right. and still leave it so the next guy could do whatever he wanted to do, you know? 
Is there anything you're working on now that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Actually, no. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm basically... I'm basically retired from the, you know, commercial end of things. I'm writing, I am writing a long, involved epic, letting it go where it wants to go, all the stuff that we've just been talking about. Um, and I am not worried at all about whether it's commercial. Okay. And when I get to the end of it, uh, if I think I can sell it, then I'll try to sell it. And if I don't think I can sell it, I'll just have enjoyed, you know, the writing. I like writing um, and all that, but, um, um, uh, you know, comics have just, comics are so different from yeah. the comics that I worked on now. And, uh, you know, I don't begrudge that. I mean, you know, they had, they had in some respects to become more Hollywoodized because Hollywood is, is running the show now, but there is a lot, you know, now you do have approval loops and notes and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I don't really want to do comics as, you know, as they're currently done. I mean, I always say, and this is not a cry for help, you know, and it's, but you know, if somebody came and said, we'll let you do a comic the way you want to do a comic, you might interest me, you know, but, but uh, I don't want to do it under those circumstances. I went over and I wrote books, um, you know, and that was that was cool. Um, uh, those books, by the way, are all about a fascist organization taking over American government, which turns out to be <laughs> prophetic. You know, yeah, it's it's. I was writing, you know, I wrote those books. It's like, what if these people really existed? And and the longer I wrote it, the more I became convinced that they did exist, and and uh, and wow. so they do turn out to be prophetic. Um, but, um, you know, that was, that was that. And, and so now I'm just, you know, I'm doing a lot of traveling. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing for my own amusement and that's pretty much it. Sounds like a good life now. I like it. Great. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Steve, for talking with us. I think, uh, listeners are going to find your insights in both of these books, uh, extremely, um, interesting. I know I did. Well, thank you. 